Thanks, Pastor Marvin. Appreciate that. Uh, great to be with you all this morning. Let me start with a question. <clears throat> How many people have you lied to this morning? <clears throat> We're going to jump right into it. How many, how many lies have you told this morning? I mean, you say, ah, oh, no, no. Uh, let, me, let me ask you this way. How many people were you not completely honest with this morning? Maybe that's a little bit, maybe that hits a little bit more of us. How many people said, hey, how are you? And you gave an honest answer to them. Uh, I want to talk about honesty this morning. I want to talk this morning about a message entitled, Honest to God. And I want to talk about honesty in prayer. If you've been with us at Mount Hope for more than a year, you know that every January, the first four, four or so weeks, we talk about some of the practices of the faith for Christians, some basic practices we all need to make sure that are a part of our life if we are going to grow with God. Uh, I always start the year thinking about where do you want to be with God at the end of this year? And, uh, you know, should God give us that time? Where, where do we want to be in our relationship with God on December 31st, 2024? And how do you get there? And so we talk about some of these basic practices of the faith. And one of those is prayer. And so this morning I want to talk about prayer. And I want to talk about being honest in prayer. We're not going to talk about every aspect of prayer or every kind of prayer. But we're going to talk about this specific idea of being honest in prayer. One of the statements about prayer we say at Mount Hope is this, prayer is powerful, so we make it our first priority and not our last resort. And that's a catchy saying, and that's a catchy statement. And you think, okay, I can remember that. But then if you think about it, you might say, okay, I can remember that, but I don't know how well I'm living that out. Often there's a gap between our catchy statements and the lives that we're actually living. <laughs> I'd like to say it's my first priority and not my last resort, you might say. But if I'm honest, sometimes it's not the first thing I run to. There's a gap between what we know about these things and then how we actually live. We're calling this series Church in the Mirror. And a mirror really creates a gap, right? Or it reflects a gap. You get up in the morning and you looked at the mirror, and some of you said, ah, not bad. And some of you said, wow, there's a gap. <laughs> we got to do something about the gap. <laughs> there's a gap between what you saw and what you'd like to see. When you look in the mirror, there's a gap. So we're going to talk about that this morning. And that's why we're calling this series Church in the Mirror. Another thing we did with this series, back in October, some of you were here and took our church health assessment. And we took that data. And we want to give you some of that during this series because uh, it, it kind of reflects where we are as a church. So some of the questions in that assessment were about prayer. So how are we doing as a church when it comes to prayer? The good news is, uh, one question we asked is this, do you know how to talk to God in prayer? And the overwhelming majority said, yes, I know how to talk to God in prayer. And that's encouraging. Okay, we know how to do that. Let me show you a couple other questions that were in that assessment and how we answered. So we broke these down for Burlington and Belmont. That was one of the demographic questions we asked. The blue line is Burlington. The uh, orange line is our Belmont location. And so the question four was, how well does our church encourage prayer for God's initiative and anticipate that God will act? 
And here's what we see, that, uh, that 66% in Burlington said five extremely well. Another 27% in Burlington said four, which I guess we would say is, is very well or, you know, uh, you know extreme, extremely well, whatever is a little less than extremely, I guess. So what that says is four and five, that's like 94% of everyone who responded said, you know what, I think Mount Hope, we're doing a really good job of showing that we should pray, encouraging each other to pray. And that's not surprising. You can see that this morning. You saw Pastor Marvin pray. You saw Jason pray. You saw Vera pray. So you come to a church service at Mount Hope. You don't have to be here very long to know, all right, these people believe in prayer. And they probably believe I should pray. And so the vast majority of people said, yeah, I think Mount Hope's doing a great job encouraging people to pray. Next question. Number 10 was, in my relationship with God, I could use the most help with, and we gave five different options there. The third one, C, I could use help with cultivating a regular prayer life. And 25% of people in Burlington that responded said, yeah, this is something I could use help with. So a quarter of the people, so, almost, so 94% said, we are encouraged to pray. A quarter of those same people said, but I need help cultivating a prayer life. Next question, uh, question number 18 says, how well does our church encourage and equip its members to practice various aspects of prayer, such as praise, confession, thanksgiving, petition, and listening prayer? And you can see here, encourage was in that first one, but this one added the word equip its members. Now the responses are distributed a little bit more. 35% five, still said 5, 24, 28% 4, 26% 3, 5% 2. And so I look at this and I say, well, what do we learn from this? I think there's a couple things we take away from this. First, we recognize as a community how important prayer is. That's, that's clear. But second, there's a gap. There's a gap. And we would benefit from some equipping instruction on how to engage in prayer more often. Or I put it this way, at Mount Hope, we know that we should pray, and we also know that we are not praying as we should. Many of us. In some ways, we know we should pray. Every one of us say, yep, prayer is important. But a chunk of us would also say, but I could use some help knowing how to do that. I'm probably not praying as I should and as I'd like to. So I wanna, we want to talk about that gap today and see if we can close that gap a little by talking about one aspect of prayer, and that's about being honest in prayer. One thing you depend on a mirror for is to be honest, right? You depend on a mirror to be honest. I mean, f the funhouse mirrors are great in an amusement park. You don't want one in your bathroom, right? That's not going to be helpful. You need a mirror that is going to accurately reflect and be honest with you. As important as honesty is in a mirror, it's even more important in your relationship with God. And it is essential, is an essential component of your life of prayer. So I want to talk about that. How honest are you in God with prayer? You might be sitting here saying, I'm very honest with God in prayer. I don't even need this message. And I would say, are you? Does your conversation with your closest friend about a problem look different than your prayer to God? Does your conversation with your closest friend about something look different than your prayer 
to God. And you might say, you know, well, of course it does. I mean, my friend is not God. But are you at the same time in that statement saying God is not my friend? Why would it be different? Why, wouldn't you, why would you be more honest with a person than you might be about with God? And I'll also tell you that, by the way, this can be a strategy on becoming more honest with God in prayer. When you get together with a close friend who's also a Jesus follower, and you have a conversation about, hey, here's what I'm struggling with, here's my problem, and then you, at the end of that, pray together, that can create an honesty in prayer that wasn't there before, because now you've just talked about everything. There's no point in hiding it from God at that point. And they're going to know if you're not being honest with your prayer to God. How honest are you? Do you see God as close or distant? I'm not saying we lie in prayer, but I'm just asking, are we sometimes not completely honest with God in prayer? Kids, I think, are really honest at times, and especially honest with God in prayer. Maybe that's one of the reasons that Jesus said, if you're going to come to me, come as a child. Come like a child. Anyone who comes to the kingdom is to come like a child. So I I found some prayers uh, from kids that I thought give us a good example of being honest with God in prayer. I found them on the Internet, so they have to be true. So Ginny said... Dear God, please put another holiday between Christmas and Easter. There's nothing good in there now. Some of you are like, yeah, we need something now. Sam says, dear God, I want to be just like my daddy when I get big, but not with so much hair all over. That's an honest prayer. Ruth M., dear God, I think the stapler is one of your greatest inventions. There's a future admin right there, Ruth M. Sarah, dear God, please change the taste of asparagus. It's grass. Thanks, Sarah. Dear God, would you make me a little brother? I want somebody to boss around. I mean, that is an honest prayer. You would never say that. But this is an honest, this is an honest prayer. Stevie, dear Jesus, please don't come before the next Cars movie. Stevie wants to see that movie. Peter says, dear God, please send Dennis Clark to a different camp this year. And listen, some of you need to be this honest in prayer. Because you feel this way, you've got a Dennis Clark at your workplace. And you are thinking, oh, just assign them to another group. Just go to, just get them out, just get them out. And you, but you don't say it. Why won't you be honest with God? Because you feel that way. Why can't you be as honest as Peter? Raphael, this is one of my favorites. Dear God, if you give me genie lamp like Aladdin, I will give you anything you want except my money or chess set. <laughs> and that one hits a little close to home, doesn't it? God, I'll give you what you want if you give me what I want. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. Kids are honest. How honest are you in talking to God in prayer? With the time we have left, I want to answer these three questions. Why is honesty important in prayer? What keeps us from being honest in prayer? 
And what does it look like to pray honest prayers? Why is it important? What keeps us from doing it? And what does it look like to pray honest prayers? First question, why is honesty important in prayer? And the answer is because honest prayers honor God. Honest prayers honor God. They honor who God is. They honor what God knows. They honor God's omniscience and omnipotence and all those things about God. They honor God. Honest prayers honor God. And an honest prayer, the way I'm defining it, and we'll look at it the rest of this message back up, um, is that those two, were, those two statements there. Where, where did it go? Where did it go? You're too fast for me. Honest about yourself and honest about God. That's how I define honest prayers. An honest prayer is when you are talking to God and you are honest about yourself, what you're feeling, who you are, where you're at, but you're also honest about who God is. Both those things are a part of being able to pray honest prayers. When you aren't honest with people, why? Um, think about when you're not completely honest with a person. Why is that? I think sometimes we're not completely honest. Some of these, these are some of the reasons. Because you don't trust the person. Because you don't have a close enough relationship. Because you don't think they can help. Because you don't think they want to hear it. Or maybe you don't think they would understand And the reason honest prayers honor God is because when you are honest with God, you reverse these statements, and here's what becomes true. When you are honest with God, you express that you trust God with what is important to you. You express that you are close enough to share with him what's important to you. You express that you know that God can help with it. You believe that. You trust that he wants to hear you, and you believe that God understands. When you are open and honest with God, you're, you're doing it because of all these things that are true. God, I believe you hear me. I believe you can handle anything I bring your way. I believe you can handle my honesty, and I believe you can help. All these things are true, and so I pray honestly because honest prayers honor God. Second question, what keeps us from being honest with God in prayer? What keeps us from being honest with God in prayer? I think it can be how we see God. Sometimes we see God as holy, but maybe not helpful. And so we don't bring our things to him that we need to. Sometimes we see him as a dignitary, but not a dad. Or far off, and not a father. The way a father should be. The way a loving father should care. What keeps us from being honest with God? I think, honestly, though, (laughs) honestly... That was not intentional. Uh, should be honest with you. Um, I think one of the big reasons is this, because we want to please God. And we want to maybe look good before God. Like the child with a parent or an employee with an employer, we're going to give the good news. We're going to give the good report. We're going to talk about the things that make us look good. And maybe... We posture ourselves a bit in front of God. It's like the parent that picks up the child from school and says, how was your day? Oh, it was great. I, I got, did better on that math test than I thought I would. We went outside and had fun at recess. And I, you know, I saw my friend. It was a great day. And that's all true. And what's also true is I got in a fight with a kid at lunch and I threw food at them and got a detention. 
but they withhold that. Did they lie? And I wonder if sometimes with God, we want to look good before God. When we are not honest with God in prayer, it could be because we actually have, what it uncovers is what might be at the core of our belief is that there's a transactional relationship with God in prayer. If we are not being honest with God in prayer, what it could be uncovering is not is not a personal relationship with God, but a transactional relationship with God that, that works based on a statement something like this. God, I'll be good and you'll be good to me. Sometimes at the core of us, we may think that that's the reality. God, I'll be good and then you'll be good to me. And so, if I, so when I come in prayer, I want to come with all the good stuff. And then God will be good to me. Because I want to look good before God. One of the reasons that may keep us from being honest is because we actually have a transactional understanding of our relationship with God. That it's more like a business partnership. And so we want to not upset him or displease him or say things that we don't even want to believe are true in our own heart. That we don't even want to admit that we think. That we don't even want to admit that are in the core of our heart. And so we keep those to ourselves as if God does not know our hearts. Yesterday, Wendy and I were out shopping, and we were in, um, we were just in one of those typical New England seaside towns with all these little shops. And, you know, you're not really shopping for anything. You're just kind of going in and out and looking at what they have. And, and so we walked into this one little shop, and I immediately was uncomfortable because the ratio of a staff to customers was like five to one. And you immediately get uh, kind of uh, surrounded by the staff. You know, we walk in and one person says to me, the first statement they say was, hello, friend. And I said, oh boy. <laughs> I wanted to turn around and walk out, but I'm like, hi, just keep walking along. Next person approaches me, hi, friend, how are you today? And I, oh, here's part, it's part of the training, oh boy third person says, hi, friend, welcome. And I thought, man, this is the problem here. Either you are way overestimating our relationship or you are redefining the word friend in a way that I'm not comfortable with either. They were defining the word friend in really a transactional understanding, and I know this because several times that I was there, they still tried to upsell me on things tried to tell, you know, tried to show me and sell me things I didn't need, told me, oh, remember, you're in New Hampshire, so it's tax-free, so you want to buy some stuff. And I thought, this is not how my friends act. There was a transactional understanding to the title, and I think we need to be careful. We can call God Father, we can call him Lord, we can call him all kinds of things, but we may still at the core of us operate on a transactional understanding, and we need to be careful about that. That it's not... I'll be good and you'll be good to me. It's coming with an honest heart and receiving from the Lord, recognizing that we are not good. It's not about posturing before God. Jesus brought this truth out in Luke chapter 18. He was talking about prayer. In fact, this is the same chapter where Jesus says, you need to come to God like a child. And he, talks, he tells a parable about prayer and he gives the example of two different people. And he says this in Luke 18, 
says, he also, that's Jesus, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Stop there for a second. Let me just help give some understanding and context there. A Pharisee was a religious leader of the day, and they were specifically religious leaders who were very legalistic, persnickety about keeping every single aspect of the law outwardly. And they wanted everyone to know that they kept every aspect of the law. And this was really important to them, but Jesus often identified and uncovered that their heart was not often in line with their outward actions. That they would keep the law before people, but their hearts were often very corrupt. The tax collector, what you need to know about that, is they were looked at as the people in society who were looked down upon and really hated in society because they were fellow countrymen who were empowered by the occupying Roman government to not only collect taxes for Rome, but to make their living by taking as much money basically as they wanted for themselves. So everyone, all their neighbor, imagine if your neighbor (laughs) could come to you and just force you to pay them as much money as they wanted. They were not liked. And so you get the Pharisee who's seen as this religiously uh, observant person and the tax collector who's really seen as a thief. Jesus says, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners. Who does he have in mind then? extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The religious leader is posturing himself before God and thinking it earns him something. The tax collector is honest and throws himself upon God's mercy. And Jesus says, he's the one that went away being heard by God. He's the one that went away justified. Not the one who postured and tried to make himself look good in prayer but the one who honestly said who he was and what was going on in his life in prayer. So those are some of the, why 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 are we not honest with God in prayer? Maybe it's that posturing. Final question is, what does it look like to pray honest prayers? What does it look like to pray honest prayers? Honest prayers are honest about yourself and honest about God. Honest about what you are feeling and what's true about how God feels toward you. Honest about where you are at and where God is at. Honest about what's true about you and what's true about God. I want to, in the time we have left, just look at four examples quickly of what honest prayer looks like. So take out your Bible or grab one from that chair rack underneath you because I'm not going to put these on the screen and we're going to move pretty quickly. I'm going to give you the page number of the chair rack Bible. So if you use one of those, it might be quicker for you. I want to look at four passages about honest prayer. And the first one 
is honest about being honest about pain. It's page 688 in your chair rack Bible. It's Lamentations chapter 3. Page 688, Lamentations chapter 3. Honest prayers honor God. Are you honest with God about pain that you experience in life because of the circumstances around you? Do you bring that to God? So Lamentations chapter 3 is, uh, Lamentations is a short little book written by a prophet named Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was speaking to the people on behalf of God, and he was almost always telling them bad news. <laughs> and it was a time when God's people were disobeying God. They were going really off the rails. God had had enough, and he had to discipline and correct them. And his discipline and correction was by bringing in another nation to occupy them and to carry them off. And as you can imagine, when an occupying force comes in, when it's, it's, it's not pleasant, it's violent, it's, it's, it's aggressive. Jeremiah is not just reporting on it, he is experiencing it. He is in the midst of it. And so he writes Lamentations, which is a lament. It's a lament prayer. And in chapter 3, verse 16, he says this, he, meaning God, He's just talking about what's happened to him and to the people. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. And listen to this line, I have forgotten what happiness is. You ever prayed that in prayer? God, I've forgotten even what it's like to be happy. I bet you've said that to someone else. Have you ever said it to God? Jeremiah says it to God. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my afflictions and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Okay, so now he's been true about himself. I've been honest about who I am. Now he's going to be honest about who God is. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he should bear the yoke in his youth. I bet some of you have a coffee cup or a picture in your house, someplace that has verse 22 on it. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. That is an encouraging verse. But here's why context is important. Here's why understanding the larger picture of Scripture is important. Because you might be experiencing the first part of that. He has made my teeth to grind on gravel. You have physical manifestations in your body of the stress of the outward circumstances around you. And you walk into your friend's house and it says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And you're like, whatever. That must have been written by somebody whose life is perfect. 
must have been written by somebody who's all unicorns and butterflies and rainbows, but not my life. Here's what I love about Scripture is we have the honest account of Jeremiah saying, my life is not good right now. Things are bad. Things are bad. That's what's true about me. That's what's honest about where I am. But things are bad, but God is good. That's the prayer. Circumstances didn't change. Things were bad, and they were going to be bad for a while because God wasn't done disciplining his people. But Jeremiah also says, here's what's true about God. Here's what I know about God. That God is good, even though things are bad. And then it's difficult, but God is still good. Be truthful with God when circumstances are bad around you. Truthful about how they make you feel. Be honest with God about that. And you might say, Pastor Rick, this sounds like you're making God my therapist. God is not my therapist. Here's what I know. The reason most things work for us is because they're a result of the way that God has created us. And sometimes being honest with another person, whether it's a therapist or a good friend, brings, starts to bring healing to us because God created us to be honest people. And when we can be honest with God and in his presence and truthful and not divided and a person of integrity, that it starts to bring healing in our souls and we're also bringing it to the one who can bring ultimate healing and help. And so be honest with God in prayer. Things are bad, but God is good. Second passage, Psalm 51, page 474 in your chair rack Bible, page 474. Can you be honest with God about your sin? Here's the context as you're turning there to Psalm 51. It's a psalm written by King David. And King David did a lot of things right, but he did one thing really bad. Probably many things bad, but this is one that sticks out. King David at one point has, commits an adulterous affair with a woman named Bathsheba. She was married, uh, and he not only had an affair with her, but he also, as the king, sent her husband out to battle in such a way that he knew he would be killed in battle. So he murdered her husband and then marries Bathsheba, brings her into his house. And then after that, God sends a prophet named Nathan to say, what you did is wrong, is sinful. And then after that, David writes Psalm 51. Psalm 51, verse 1, page 474, says this. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And we knew a right spirit within me. 
Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. David comes and he says he's honest about himself. And and I love that line, you delight in truth. So be honest with God. He's honest. This is my sin. But then he's also honest about God. You're someone who forgives. You're someone who can make me clean. This statement, if it was, you know, things are bad, but God is good. The previous statement, this statement, I'd say, God, I'm bad, but you are gracious and merciful and good. Honest with God about my sin. Being honest with God is being honest about your sin. There's a power to confession and receiving forgiveness from God. Don't fall for the trap of thinking you can fix your own sin. It's a lie. And when you start thinking, oh, I've already brought this to God in the past. I can't take it to him again. I guess I need to fix it on my own. That's a lie. We can get into this type of thinking about sin. Maybe you bring the sin to God the first time. Oh, God, I did this. Forgive me. But then you do it again and again and again. And you think, well, I can't bring this to God now. I mean, he's already forgiven me once. And so you think, I'm just going to stop doing it on my own, and then it'll be okay. The problem with that thinking is every time we sin, we have created a gap in our relationship with God that can only be repaired by the blood of Jesus Christ through confession, repentance, and forgiveness received from God. Think about David's life when Nathan came to him. At the point Nathan came to David, he wasn't technically sinning. At the point that Nathan came to David, most people looked at him and said, wow, wasn't that nice of King David? He took in the widow Bathsheba. He's taking care of the widows. Wow, what a good guy. God sends Nathan to him to say, no, no, no. You may have stopped sinning in the eyes of people, but you created a gap between you and God that is not going to be repaired until you confess and receive forgiveness. And for us, we got to be honest with our sin with God because we can't fix it on our own. Even if you stop the action, once you've committed the sin, we need to receive through the blood of Jesus Christ that forgiveness of our sins and be made in right relationship again with God. And that's never going to come through our own actions. Be honest with God about your sin and honest about his forgiveness and grace. John Newton, the author of the hymn, Amazing Grace, said it this way, I am a great sinner, but God is a great Savior. That's always true. I'm a great sinner, but God is a great Savior. Next scripture, Psalm 69, page 483. Page 483 in your Cherak Bible. Can you be honest with God about your anger? Have you ever been angry in prayer? I have. I have thrown stuff against the wall in prayer times. I have been angry in prayer. Are you honest and be, have you been angry in prayer? I think Psalm 69, among other imprecatory psalms, as they're called, gives us permission to be honest with our anger in prayer. Here's what the 
The psalm, Psalms are a book of prayers and songs. They're really our guide on how to pray. To ignore the book of Psalms when it comes to prayer is to ignore the biggest tool God has ever given us about prayer. And Psalm 69 says this, the writer writes this, let their own table before them become a snare. And when they are at peace, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see. You ever pray for someone to go blind? This guy did. It's in the Bible. Make their loins tremble continually. Pour out your indignation upon them and let your burning anger overtake them. May their camp be a desolation. Let no one dwell in their tents. For they persecute him you have struck down and they recount the pain of those you have wounded. Add to them punishment upon punishment. May they have no acquittal from you. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living. If you don't catch the matter, he just said, let them die. Kill them. Let them not be enrolled among the righteous. But I am afflicted and in pain. Let your salvation, O God, set me on high. I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hoofs. When the humble see it, they will be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. For the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his own people who are prisoners. True about God. True about me, how I'm feeling. True about God. Here's what I want to make sure you hear when we read a psalm like this, the imprecatory psalms. Here's what this psalm does not do. It does not give you permission to go act on your anger. That's not what this psalm's doing. In fact, I would not even say this psalm is giving you and I permission or even saying you're supposed to be angry. I think what this psalm is saying by putting it in the scriptures and putting it in the Bible is saying you're supposed to be honest with God when you are angry. Because if we take the whole counsel of scripture into account, we know that Jesus says, love your enemy. We know that Jesus is going to say, pray for those who persecute you. We know that Paul is going to say in Romans that vengeance belongs to the Lord and not to you. So all those things are our actions, but we still at times feel angry, and you need to be honest enough with God to be able to take that to God in prayer and say, God, this is how I feel right now. Whether it's right or wrong, this is how I feel right now. And Lord, would you protect me so I don't act on these feelings? Would you keep me from temptation? Because right now, I want to hurt the other person. I want to verbally hurt them. I want to financially hurt them. I want to publicly hurt them. But Lord, that's not what you would have me do, but this is the way I feel. It's a matter of being honest with God, with who I am and what's going on, so that God can then minister to me. When I'm, then I'm being honest about, but God, you're in control. But God, you're sovereign. But God, judgment is in your hands. But God, vengeance lies with you. Being honest with God about your anger. If uh, the last one was, I'm bad, but you are gracious, I would say this one is, I am mad. <laughs> but God is my savior. I'm mad. I'm angry. But God is my savior. Final one is Luke chapter 22. It's page 881. 
in your Bible, Cherek Bible. Honest with God when you are overwhelmed. Honest with God when you are overwhelmed. Page 881, it's a prayer of Jesus. It's Jesus right before he goes to the cross, right before his trial. And he goes off to a time of prayer. Luke chapter 22, verse 39. And Luke writes this, and he came out, he being Jesus, and he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to his disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. There are two places of honesty and prayer I want us to see there. The first, of course, is Jesus honesty of Jesus with the Father. He's overwhelmed by the path and would like another way. He's honest about where he is and he's honest about the Father. This is perhaps the greatest example of honesty in prayer we have in Scripture where Jesus himself says, Father, I would like not to have to go down this path. That's how I feel. Honestly, I would like not to have to go to the cross. That's how I feel right now. But what's true about God, Jesus says, but Father, your will, not my will be done. I will trust in you during this time. It's an honest prayer, and it's spoken by Jesus. And it's the way we also ought to pray. God, this is how I'm feeling right now. This is what I think right now. But Lord, this is true about you. The second thing to notice in this prayer, I think, is the thing that Jesus says to his disciples. Twice he tells them to pray that they would not enter into temptation. Be honest that you are capable of being tempted. And ask God for the strength to keep you from entering into it. I mean, that's in the Lord's Prayer, right? You know that. Keep us from temptation. <laughs> Jesus prays that for his disciples. Pray that God would keep you from temptation. Jesus is not only our example in prayer. He is the reason God hears our prayers. Jesus is the reason we can be honest with God in prayer. Because of what he did on the cross, shedding his blood, we can go to God with everything and anything and honestly bring it to him. He went to the cross for our anger, for the sin in the world that causes pain, he went to the cross for our sin so that we can be honest and bring that to him. We can know that he hears us, he can handle it, and he can help us. Because of Jesus' obedience to the Father, we can receive and know forgiveness. So be honest with God in prayer because honest prayers honor God. I'm going to ask our worship team to come back. And as they do, would you pull out that card you got when you came in and pull out a pen? Hope. Pull out that card and a pen, and if you don't have a card or a pen, just lift your hand and someone will bring that to you.
Patricia Raphael, we got a couple up front. Patricia Ricardo, if you can bring some there, that'd be great. Guys over here, just keep your hand up until you get card, card, pen. Here's what I want you to do with that. Uh, I got some extras here. Here you go, Andrew. Here's what I want you to do with that card. The card is um, fancy Mount Hope stationery, right? Um, got two parts, top and the bottom, blank. You use the blank side. What I want you to do is, is this. I want, you to, I want you to take some moments to write a prayer. I want you to write an honest prayer. And it has these two components to it. John, can you put up that slide? These two components to it when we're writing this prayer. On the top, I want you to start the prayer with these words. Lord, I am. Start the prayer with these words at the top. Lord, I am. What is it? Lord, I am feeling Lord, I am right now. Lord, I am grateful that this sermon is almost over. Whatever you're feeling, just, I just want you to be honest with God. Lord, I am. And then on the lower second half, I want you to start that part of your prayer with, Lord, you are. Lord, you are. What's true about me and what's true about you, God? Let's take a couple minutes and I want you to have some time just to write that prayer out. Let's do that now.
after first service, Wendy told me, you need to give people more time to write prayer for their prayers. So I'm sorry if I'm cutting you off too early. Maybe take it home, do a little homework. But um, I want us to close out our time together. The team's going to sing a song. I'm going to ask you to stand as we sing. As they do, if you need to come and kneel at this altar and be honest with God, kneel down before him and pray. I just want you to be able to do that as they sing. These altars are always open. You don't need permission to come and pray at these altars. But maybe God has spoken to your heart today and there's something very intimate, maybe something going on and, and someone will come and lay a hand on your shoulder and pray for you. But as the team's praying and uh, singing, if you need to come and pray at these altars, they're here and you can, you can do that. God invites us into being honest with him. And as much as I preach this sermon this morning, it's something I'm learning in my own heart and life. That when you and I will come to God and be honest with him, that healing begins. That healing in our lives, healing of our pain, healing of our hurt, that the Lord works in the midst of that. Lord, we confess we know we should pray. And we confess, we know that we don't always pray as we should. So help us. Help us to do this in a way, in a way that you would be able to minister to us best as our Father. In Jesus' name.